more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 10. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 Expect to leave the middle of April. Those are the best details I can offer. So, as of now, there are no updates or changes. Our mission crew commander, the MCC, briefed us behind closed doors. We had trained as a crew since Thanksgiving for deployment, and toward the end of February 2012, the powers that be yanked us around with the date of departure. That jostling had moved the deployment up twice, and now it ping-ponged back and forth inside a two-month window. It's not etched in stone, and there is a lot of feedback from other squadrons that the date may shift, or we as a crew may not even deploy this rotation, so keep this information on a tight leash. We all knew what that meant. Stand by to stand by. Again. Standard operating procedure. For all the wondrous things the military is capable of, it enjoys postponing decisions until the 11th hour, and then scrambles for a solution. At that point, it becomes incumbent upon the individual members to, quote, be flexible. Cue the eye rolls. I drove home considering how to approach Missy with the news. She was desperate to know and still assumed early May. We anticipated a May or June wedding preceding the deployment. This information could be catastrophic. She wasn't home when I got there. I sat on the couch, deliberating. Then the door burst open. We're getting married April 7th. We're doing it in our backyard, and the reception will be in the barn. Huh? I went shopping for decorations and supplies. Um, okay. Say it! Tell her! Sounds like a plan. What do I need to do? Well, you could work on the music list and invites and get your honor guard stuff together that you want. Actually... I paused and gave my jaw time to shake off its nervousness. We had a meeting today. My pulse raced. Please don't be angry. It hurts me as much to say as it pains you to hear. We're leaving mid-April. We don't have a date. I felt purged, but braced for impact. My mind cringed. Seriously? Was this as soon as you knew about it? I've known for about a week, but I didn't want to say anything unless we had something more definitive. I was hoping today's meeting would offer that. It didn't. I'm sorry. God damn it, Tim. That's fabulous. Her eyes welled up as her chin tightened and lips thinned. She nodded. Just fucking fabulous. We just dropped almost all the wedding money on reserving tables, chairs, settings, catering, decorations, everything. 
Why can't you tell me things? Why am I always the last to know? If you were just upfront and honest, this wouldn't be a constant struggle. I thought we were over this. She was alluding to hundreds of unrelated, but now related, previous offenses. The camel's back shattered. I shifted into defensive posture and lashed back. Because I knew this is how you would react. You always react in the most juvenile, spiteful way. I have no wiggle room for honesty with you. It's like arguing with the kids' table at dinner, and you just go right for the throat and dig up old arguments. I was trying to get facts first before I brought you bad information and you made bad plans around it. Well, now we might have no plans because you gave me no information. There's always a fucking secret. Her tears gave up their grip. You're the one who went out and dumped the wedding money without talking to me. You did nothing to help plan. I asked you time and time and time again, and you never gave me any feedback or lifted a finger. If I hadn't done it, I don't know that there would have ever been a wedding. I figured I was doing you a favor so you could focus on your training. I thought I was helping you by doing it all. Shit, Tim. Why? Why is it always a secret? Why do they always come up at the worst time? Tim! Lying because you're afraid of what I might think. Why are you so afraid? I'm going to be your wife. Your wife! Her screeching voice boiled my blood. I can't do this for the rest of my life, Tim. She shook her head and folded her arms. Her tone feathered into resignation. She buttoned up. I can't keep waiting for the next secret, wondering what it is, where it'll come from, or what lie I'll get next to make up for it. I don't understand, Tim. You always talk about being a good man. When do I get to see him? Rage stewed in my stomach, and it showed on my face. If you weren't that man, I need to go. in the front paddock. You still live on our garden. I'm not that man! It exploded from my throat like a thermobaric bomb sucking all the air out of the room. What? It was almost a whisper. Her eyebrows squeezed. I'm not a good man! A pebble fell away from the dam and the ground began to quake. I'm sorry I lied to you. Every time I've been sorry. But I'm not that man. At least not anymore. You were the only thing I had, and I would have done anything to keep you, including lie about what I wasn't, a man of honor. I failed, and not just a little. I failed at being that man. I failed everyone, everything, and every promise. Most namely, I failed myself to the absolute core of who I am, and that fucking hurts. It hurts in ways you can't possibly fathom. Do you know what it's like to know your own soul is disgusted by its host? Can you imagine what it is to proclaim a life dedicated to honor, convince the entire world, preach it nonstop, and then discover you have none? To swear an oath with your life to millions of people and let all of them down. To swear your life and know it was a lie. I've seen the faces of good men who would have been far more honest, far better to you, and made better husbands. 
they were the men you deserve, but they're dead. They're fucking dead. And I'm what's left behind. I pissed on all my promises to them over and over. The sky isn't falling despite what I had everyone, even myself, convinced of. The stars will all be there tomorrow, and they will refuse to remember my name. If you knew, if you knew where I came from, if I had told you, you wouldn't be here. And I, I know that's selfish. My last apology is for dragging you along this far. It was all selfish. When I met you, I had and was nothing. I was scared for my life. Literally. Scared. Scared for your life? Tim, what are you talking about? My legs shook. They had shaken like this before. My house in Florida. You remember when it was broken into? Yes. They took something. Something I never really missed. My pistol. I know they did. What you don't know is... It had a single round chambered. A round with P-R-I-D-E written on it. You... You can't understand and I will never ask you to. Hell, I... I don't think I understand it entirely. I only hoped you'd never know, and I never had any intention of saying it. I never wanted to say any of this. I wanted to just bury it, forget it, and start over like nothing happened. But secrets and lies rot. I was a good man once, I think. I think I really and truly was. I glued my entire existence to these stupid, impossible claims and made life-and-death promises that I, I couldn't keep. Please know this. I, I don't tell you this to scare you. Please know I'm not at risk or anything like that. I'm, I'm okay in that regard. But I, I need this to come out. It has to come out before we say any more promises. There's something in me that's broken. I don't know how else to say it. I'm I'm not a man of courage. I'm afraid all the time. And I'm not the hero I grew up wanting to be. I'm constantly haunted by the men who who are who were. I'm not a man of honor. I'm a man who doesn't even know what the word means anymore. Fuck. I'm not even a man of decency. I'm a promise breaker, a hypocrite. And maybe the most offensive kind. Of all the things I was supposed to be, I'm none of them. You were the kind of woman I thought the old me deserved, the kind I hoped I might deserve again. And it's not fair, and I'm sorry. I'm I'm truly sorry. I, I'm not a good man. There's something dark in me, and I don't know what to do with it. This moment is my worst fear. The one I thought was worth every lie I used to prevent. 
I won't fault you for leaving or despising me or hating me for misleading you. I I mean it. I, I get it. If you're going to go, just please go quietly. Please. I fell to the couch, depleted and exhausted. I had sat on the couch like this before. This time, however, someone else was in the room. Someone alive. She knelt in front of me, like a guardsman. I'll never hate you. I just don't understand this about you. Understand what? Tim, you are a hero. Not by what you hope to achieve, but by the things you've already done, or at least tried. And yet, somehow that's not enough. You either don't see it, or you choose not to, because it's not on your terms, or doesn't look the way you want it to. So somehow it doesn't count. I don't understand that. I don't understand this hole you keep trying to fill in. It's like there's not enough of you to fill it, so you just fill it with lies so that I won't see the hole. Tim, you're missing things. Big things. There's a horse out in the front paddock that adores you. Do you really care that he's not Secretariat? He doesn't care that you're not Ronnie Turcotte. But I'm willing to bet he'd run for you until his heart explodes. Would that be enough? What's enough, Tim? You already are enough. Am I enough? I lifted my gaze up from the carpet to meet hers. Her expression wasn't what I expected. The strands of unfallen tears dangling from her chin said she was devastated, but they weren't angry tears. She leaned forward into my lap as her tears soaked the thighs of my jeans, the same place my own tears had years before. I too leaned forward and rested my head on her back. We sat in silence for a long time. I'm going to work with Honor. Will you please work on the music list for the wedding? Yeah. The rain spritzed a glossy blanket across the ground. Wisps of clouds drifted low over the treetops. The front paddock collected cars as guests made their way to the backyard through the mist. The barn, gutted and renovated, now resembled a quaint country hall. Tool and thousands of tiny lights lit the barn aglow as well as the trees in the walkway leading into the barn. Attendees congregated in the barn, awaiting the final word. Would we brave the elements and have the wedding procession as planned in the grass-carpeted riding arena? Or would we move to our contingency plan of using the barn for both ceremony and reception? Missy's entourage of women scrambled in and out of the master bedroom with updates and questions about the plan. I deferred all final decisions to Missy. Her dad, a former Marine officer in Vietnam, only a few months removed from a hospitalized brush with death, braved the thousand-mile trek to be there. He walked on meek but proud legs to me and appealed for a final decision. A sliding wooden door separated my office from the master bedroom. I asked one of the scampering young ladies in blue to bring the one woman in white to the door. I slid the door less than an inch wide. A few feminine fingers wiggled through the crack. I wiggled my fingers into the mix. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Dallas and I checked the weather. They're saying it could stop at any moment or it could pour. It, it's going to move out, 
but it could get worse before it gets better. Do you want to start moving the chairs into the barn? She didn't drip a drop of contemplation. No. Outside. <laughs> Brass balls, Watson. Correction. Finley. Eh, not yet. She wiggled her fingers one last time and said bye. I turned to Missy's dad standing behind me with a debonair mustachioed smile. There was a historic gentlemanly class about the man, despite his infirmity. Outside it is. He leaned on his cane while raising the other hand, pointing upward. The Marine left to disseminate the orders. I walked back to the guest room to finish getting dressed. I wore my mess dress, a formal military uniform showcasing medals, cummerbund, and a bow tie. The room was wrecked with men. Half-naked men stood amid disorganized piles of bags, tuxedos, and toiletries in masculine disarray. I continued the finishing touches on my uniform. So what's the preacher got prepared? Dallas, my best man asked. Don't know. I pulled the laces tight on my mirror-shined honor guard boots. I really don't have a preference so long as it isn't 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> Why is that? It's like a really good song that sits too long on the top 40. Plus, they always skip the best part. Everyone always starts at the midpoint and only recites verses 4 through 7. For someone who doesn't like it, you sure seem to know it. I read David Copperfield too, but that's a different story. Look, it's not that I don't like it. I think it's just so overused that all anyone knows of it are the four verses. Drive-by Led Zeppelin fans who know Stairway to Heaven, but have never heard Over the Hills and Far Away. I guess that makes me a Bible hipster. Well, what would you have him say? The first few verses and stop. Why? I finished tying my boots and stood up. I took a breath and looked Dallas in the eye. If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess over to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He tasted the bittersweet appropriateness, and it soured his face a little. He nodded. Fair enough. Then he returned to his inexorable smile. You know, in all the years I've known you, I never pegged you for a praying man. <laughs> because I'm not. I smirked and slapped him on the shoulder. The mass of men fell into formation and marched out into the arena. I stood on damp ground as the mist began to lift. I clasped my hands in front of me. The music changed. I got to choose the music. Okay, it wasn't that music. Yeah, that music. My gaze had been glued to the ground in nervous anticipation. My eyes were heavy as I heaved them upward, down the aisle beset on either side by columns of saber-wielding honor guards. I met a woman in a lavender dress at a wedding once. One so beautiful I swore to myself I would marry her. On a dreary afternoon, April 7th, 2012, I met a woman in a white dress at a wedding, so beautiful that I would swear to her. The clouds weakened and burned away. Individual rays beamed through the widening cracks. The preacher started his oration. Love is patient, 
Love Are you is fucking kind. kidding me? I looked into the eyes of my bride in silent conversation and giggled with her in my mind. She knew it too. The preacher's words garbled together as I used my eyes to speak to her heart, the line I knew the preacher would stop short of. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We married each other in a horse arena amid the budding oaks, surrounded by friends from every meaningful time of our lives, even the times best forgotten. We were new. Everything was new. At the reception, my MCC came bearing a note from my squadron commander. I was scheduled to leave four days after the wedding. My MCC stood to read the letter aloud, addressing Missy directly. Missy, I want to congratulate you and Tim on this most momentous occasion. It is said that time is the greatest gift of all. So please, accept my gift of six months with your new husband. <laughs> Tim will not be deploying this rotation. I send my best wishes for you and Tim today, and for all the many happy years to follow. Missy froze, dumbstruck. She turned to me, eyes wide, glimmering. What? I smiled. Her tears were the last drops of water falling that day. My wife hugged me. Then we all got hammered drunk, line danced, and sang karaoke. And something about a Marine doing a keg stand. Off in the background, outside the barn, an onlooker stood cold and unmoved by the emerging sunlight. The loner watched from a distance with a secret, relishing the cool dampness left behind. The cast-iron brooder waited. Comedies end in weddings. Tragedies end in death. A man on a pale horse decides which it is. Going round, taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. <laughs> Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down. When the man comes around. I hope you're paying attention. But hey, even if you're not, that's fine. That's the beauty of podcasts. You can always go back to previous episodes when the light bulbs start to come on and connect those dots at your leisure. I've had several messages of recent from people who've already started to do just that. Good. Because the next three chapters? Yeah. Much of what I've told you thus far has been the hard part for me. 
The rest is actually remarkably easy, but that's just for me. See, I know how the story goes, and I've been itching to share it for a long time. For everyone else, though, you get to live it, while I simply relive it with you. Speaking of the next three chapters, I'll be releasing them in tandem as a sort of mini-series. My favorite G.I. Joe episodes were the ones with To Be Continued at the end. At the same time, I wanted them all out simultaneously, as they are all deeply intertwined and are functionally kind of one super chapter. So here's your trigger warning. Here it is. To my disgruntled vets, it's gonna hurt like the peanut butter shot. To the horsey folks, it's gonna sting a little. So shorten your stirrups, QC your weapon, do whatever ritual it is you do before going into the Pale Horse miniseries. This episode we're featuring a helping hoof in Grantsville, Utah. The program started in 2007 and leans heavy on clinical psychology directly translated to horsemanship. The manner in which they do it and the brilliance with which they explain it is literally in black and white in their philosophy statement on their website. Bottom line, they get it. For you misanthropes who can't put your hypercritical judgments of yourself aside long enough to get out of your rut, this is the kind of program you need to seek out. It is a great place to start untangling yourself. It's got PhD psychologists, gorgeous Utah setting. Make sure if you're in that region, you give them a look. That is www.ahelpinghoof.org. That's ahelpinghoof.org. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. <laughs>